the sermon cast from King Road Church. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. If you'd like to pray with someone, speak with one of our pastors, or if you're looking for more resources, please go to kingroad.ca, scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the Reach Out fillable. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. We have uh, expressions in our culture that we use. So I have a number of them, and I want you to listen to them and just see what you think of them, because we all use them. First, it says, only do what your heart tells you. Listen to your heart. Dangerous. Okay? Just say whatever is in your heart. That's very dangerous. You want to think. Okay? The heart wants what it wants, really. My heart is full. We often use them. My question is with what? Okay? Then my favorite, there's a picture here as well. I think there's a food company called Follow Your Heart. It's out in California, man. I saw that. And I'm like, this is pretty funny. Follow your heart. And at the follow your heart, you, when you go there, you can at the store get a plate of love. Yes, that, that's, it's on their website. So you can get a plate of love. I wonder what's in that plate. That, that's the question I would like to know, but you get a plate of love. Or, or the, the songs that they talk about, the music you listen to. For example, one of the famous songs by Celine Dion's. Okay? My heart will go on. My question is where? We talk about the heart a lot. Like I said, with these expressions, but do we understand what it means. So as I said, the outline this morning is very simple. We'll learn two things. First, we'll look at who we are or who are we. And second, who is God? And it is through these questions we will explore and we'll learn why we need a new heart and how this new heart is different from the heart of stone that will Look in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. So who are we and who is God? And through that, we'll learn about the need of a new heart. So we'll start with Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1:27. we read this, that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And after creating man, what does God do? He gives them the law. And we find that in Genesis chapter 2, 15 to 17, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it shall surely die. Right here, God's given Adam and Eve the command. He's given them the instructions, the rule. Here's this one rule. And what do we see? God's giving them the rule concerning life and death. One commentator writes this, All earthly goods and pleasures were a man's disposal, except this one tree which was forbidden. Man could eat freely from all other, all the other fruit, but if he ate from the forbidden tree, he would surely die. 
We see a similar relationship in, in, in the book of Deuteronomy when God tells the Israelites that you need to do this because if you do this, you will live. And that's again concerning life and death. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verses 11 to 18. And it says this verse 11. For this commandment. And what is that commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And with all your soul and with all your strength. So it says for this commandment that I commanded you today. I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have said before you today, life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then, there's that condition there, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land of and the land you are entering to take possession of it. And then verse 17. But if your heart turns away. And you will not hear. But you are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. Very strong language there. If you do this. Then you will have this. It's like when you tell your children, clean your room and clean the bathroom. Because if you do this, then we get to go to banters. Oh, but if you don't, no ice cream. And many of you probably already think we should go to banter after. Okay, I'll leave that to you. But, but there, there's this choice. If you do this, then this will happen. If you don't, then you will not get it. And as you continue with the story, the, with the narrative in the Bible, we, we see the Israelites. God gave them the law, but they failed to obey it. That, that's, that's the human tendency we have. So whether you're Christian or not Christian... We all have broken God's law. We all have broken God's law. And the question we should be asking, why is it that we fail to obey God's law? Why is it that we fail to obey God's law? First, we are sinners, stained by sin. Sin is acting or behaving in what you told not to do. That's sin right there. Acting or behaving what you told not to do. The, the Adam and Eve were told. The Israelites were told. Therefore, in Romans 5.12, we read here, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and the death through, through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And when you read back in Genesis chapter 1, you see God created man good. And he gave man a law, one commandment. 
If you do this, you will live. And you, you know the whole story. Serpent comes and tricks and persuades Eve away. So, because of sin, our heart is polluted. It's corrupt. Therefore, we know the heart is the problem. But the question we should be asking, what is heart? How do you define heart? Because we all say those expressions, oh, bless your heart. My heart is full. But what is it? According to the Bible, the Bible describes the heart as the control center of your personhood. It's the center of your thoughts, it's the center of your desires, it's the center of your emotions and the center of your motivations. So since our heart controls us, we are told that we need to guard it. Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this, Above all Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. And the question we should be asking, why do we need to guard it? Why we need to guard our heart? The answer is found in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, where we read, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand? Therefore, guard your heart so that you can live. Because everything flows from your heart. And this is, which, this is why Jesus is more concerned about the heart. Remember in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, even in Mark, where we see when, when, when Pharisees come to, to Jesus, they ask Jesus, why don't your disciples wash their hands? And what does Jesus say? It's not what goes into the mouth. But he says, Mark chapter 7, verse 20 to 23, Jesus said this, What comes out of the person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, and wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. So you see, the history of God's people, the Israelites. They disobeyed. They committed adultery, murdered. And the punishment is well deserved that they won't be entering into the land. It is the same with us that our heart controls our thinking, our emotions, our feelings, our decision making, and our actions. And we read in Matthew 13, verse 15, For the hearts of these people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have enclosed their eyes. So their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they cannot turn to me and let me heal them. There's a problem there. That their hearts are hardened. They want nothing to do with God. This is why God sent prophets like Jeremiah and Ezekiel, who are very much like our times, who come and prophesy and tell what God wants them to speak to the people so they can repent and have hope. 
Think about it for a moment. In a culture that we live in, in North America, there was time when we were a nation under God. We loved God. We obeyed God. We put God first. Even on a dollar bill says, in God we trust. But what's happening now? They're trying to take that away from you and I. God cannot be part of you and I because it's not good. They think God is only for some, this religious group. It's not for us. We become naturalists. There's somewhere out in our imagination, it's not a real thing. So we abandon our belief in God. In fact, when you send your children to, to schools or universities, what do they do? They bombard them with all these ideologies and, and stories and questions and theories. The God does not exist. God's not there. It's all just a bunch of rubbish. Thus God, through prophets, speaking to us this morning, that we need a new heart. We are wicked. The command we were given, we could not obey. Historically, in the Old Testament, you look at the, the whole journey of Israelites. You look at your own life, my life. We all do this. We can't keep this. And we need a heart transformation. Which leads me to my next point. We learn about if we are bad and wicked, who is God then? And we begin again with Genesis 1. We learn that God created us in his own image and he created us good. And give Adam and Eve a command to obey, which they could not. And the result of that was they got kicked out. And here's the beauty of that the God gave them one command to obey concerning life and death. They did not. And yet, God being rich in mercy, what does he do? Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Who's doing this? God. So God is good, but we are not. We, we often hear a question, well, how can a good God allow suffering or evil to happen? But we forget the second part. God is good, because you're saying by asking, how can a good God do this? Well, who are you then? God's good, but we are not then. By asking the question, we are acknowledging his goodness, that he's good, he's sovereign, he's kind, and he's merciful. And we read here that the God takes care of them. He clothes them. The reality of our own condition is that we are wicked, sinful people. We, we read this in Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 1 to 5. As for you, you were dead. Let's just pause here. Imagine you just finished a sermon here. You were dead and you just walk away. And you're like, what? 
What kind of ending is that? Let it sink in. He says, as for you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you follow the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the year. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving God's wrath. We cannot say, oh, I deserve this. I don't deserve God's wrath. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. We all do that. Spurgeon once said this. He said, there's a sinner who says he won't have God for his God. He will have God to be his preserver, to take care of him and keep him from accident. He does not object to having God to feed him, to give him his bread and water and clothes, nor does he mind making God somewhat of a show thing that he may take out on Sunday and bow before it. But he will not have God for his God. He will not take him to be his all. He makes his belly his God, gold his God, the world his God. That's the reality of us. So if that's who we are, that's the trajectory we're on, then what needs to happen? We need a hard transformation. And the question is, how can God regenerate your heart, regenerate the heart of those who are opposed to God? How can that happen? Because it says, while we were dead, God offers us life. While we were hopeless, God gives us hope. While we were rejected, God accepts us. And he breathed life into us. We we, we see in Ezekiel chapter 37, the famous passage, the dry bone one. What do we read there? God breathed life into those dry bones. It's the same God who is good, kind, merciful, and sovereign who rules and reigns over all of us. He's the covenant-making Yahweh God who will give us this new heart. And we turn now to Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, says this, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, And give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey my rules. How many times did you notice the word I? Four times in these two verses. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. What are we saying? I don't need God, I don't need God, I don't need God. We run away from God. But God said, I will be your God in Jeremiah. We, we, we read that too. 
It, it doesn't say, I, I may give you a new heart. Or I may put, uh, I put my spirit within you. It doesn't say that. It says, I will. I will give you a new heart. Why? The answer is in Ephesians 2, verse 6 to 9, 6 to 10. says this, But God, being rich in mercy, Okay? Remember who we are. I don't want God. I don't want to do anything with God. But what does God say? I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you. Why? But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Who's doing this? God through Christ. Why? Because he's kind. He's rich in mercy. So Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart. What does Ezekiel mean by that he will remove the heart of stone? What is the heart of stone? When you pick up stone, what, 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 do, you, what do you notice there? It's, it's cold? It's hard? You break it, it's dry? That's, that's the imagery that we have of, of a, a stone heart. Stone heart person is defined as this brutal, unkind, inhuman, ruthless, cold, unresponsive, and unemotional. The stone heart, cold heart. So how will God regenerate our stone cold heart and give us a new heart? And how would he put his spirit in us? The answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, says this. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts, where? In our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. How would God do this, that he will remove the heart of stone from us and give us a heart of flesh? The answer is Jesus. He will do that. And when you get a new heart, when this cold, stone-cold heart is removed, what should be our response? What should be the response? Romans six seventeen says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slave to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of the teaching to which you were committed. A new heart is a thankful heart. 
knowing and realizing that it's not something that I have done, but what God through Christ has done in me. That's the new heart right there. And as you continue to study, you, you know that once you knew you have a new heart, it changes everything. Last week we looked at the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we learn about the new identity. And what, what do we learn about that? The old has gone, the new has come. The old self is gone, the new has come, meaning now, being in Christ, I have a new perspective of God, I have a new view of God, I have a new perspective of others. There was time I used to view God differently, now I view God differently. There was time when I used to view people differently, now I view people differently. There was time when I looked at the skin color and how they were dressed, not anymore. Because everything within me is changed because my heart is changed. And if my heart is not changed, we'll still have the same view of everything that we used to have. The old has gone, the new has come. And the result of a regenerated heart, a new heart, is a different one. That we don't look the same way. This is why you, you see when you, when you sin, you, you're sensitive to sin. We all do that. Being, it, it doesn't mean that when you become a Christian, you won't sin. It will happen. But because God has put a new spirit, his spirit in us, that convicts us to repent. And one of the ways God shows his love for us, it is through conviction, that his spirit convicts us of our sin. Story of David in Psalm 51. Then he commits a sin. What does he do? He runs to God and pleads before God. What does he say? Create in me a new heart. Cleanse me. Wash me. Renew me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. These are the things he longs. These are the things he wants to have. That, that's All of this is the evidence of a new heart. Because stone-cold heart wouldn't care about that. I did it, no big deal. I'll do it again. But the new heart is more sensitive to sin. So as we, we, we look into this, what does this mean for us this morning? The who God is, and who we are, what does this mean for us this morning? We started the sermon by looking at some of these expressions that we, we speak. Listen to your heart, follow your heart, all of this. But the question is, who and what is controlling your heart? Who and what is controlling your heart? Is it money? I want to make money. I want to, to, to be rich. If your heart is set on money, it will keep you from entering into the kingdom of God. Listen to what Jesus says. When the, do, do, do you remember the, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus? What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? Jesus says, do this. Why do this? I've been keeping all of this. And Jesus said, go sell all that you have. 
And what's the answer? He left sad because he couldn't do that because his heart was set on money. It was harder. Is my heart, is your heart set on money? Is comfort controlling our heart? We, we live in this culture where, where it's all about comfort. I want to have a comfortable life for myself and for my children. But Jesus said this, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If your heart is set on maintaining a comfortable life, we cannot be disciples of Christ. Because following Christ is like walking on thorns. It's hard. Not comfortable. Or is your heart set on the approval of others? That, that you want others to tell you how you look, how you do things. Everything is all about that. Is that what controls your heart and my heart? That how others tell me, that makes me feel better now. We, we, we have these five love languages. I mean, uh, they're, they're great. Well, what's one of them is well, word of affirmation, I think it is, right? Word of affirmation. We, we hear from others, it makes us feel good, right? Because we want to hear that. Our heart is set on others' approval, how they tell me. Whether, it's you, whether you're in high school, university, or in your adult life, we all seek others' approval. How did I do? I mean, if someone doesn't tell you, like, well, how did you do? Then like, oh, man, I'm never going to ask you again because that's not what I was expecting. Is it approval of others? Jesus says this, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? We want to seek others' approval, not God's approval. Is that what's controlling our heart? You see, the heart of the human problem is the human heart. That's what we read in Jeremiah 17. Our heart whispers to us lies. It tells that I'm better than you. It tells that I don't need God. It tells you that it doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter how I live. I can do whatever I want. It's my life. Everything is all about me, 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 me. Because we live in this individualistic culture. But me-centered life leads to death. That's why we need God who gives us a new heart. It's the heart that matters and the heart that needs the surgery. And who can do that? Only Jesus can do that. We, we know a lot of stories. Those who once lived a different life, but once they encountered Christ Jesus, their life was changed. We know the story of Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. From a terrorist to a proclaimer of the gospel. You and I just flip the pages 
Go back who you were, who I was once, and what happened now? God gave us new heart. He put his spirit within us that from self-centered, we become other-centered. From me-centered, it becomes God-centered. It's all about God now. It changes who we are. The heart of stone was changed into a heart of love, compassion, and obedience. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, new heart is not the heart which a person is born with, but another heart put in them by the Holy Spirit. It is a heart which has a new taste, new joys, new sorrows, new desires, new hopes, new fears, new likes, new dislikes. It has new views about the soul, sin, God, Christ, salvation, the Bible, prayer, heaven, and hell, and the world, and holiness. It's like a farm with the new and a good tan, and old has gone, the new has come. That's a new heart. It's an obedient heart, a changed heart, transformed heart. And there's, there's one thing Peter says, which is very remarkable and beautiful, that, that reminds us of who we are and who God is. And what, what happens when our heart is changed? And he says this, First Peter 1.8, says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. That's the result of a new heart. May that will be our attitude. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can come and Explore and understand what it means to have a new heart and also to look who we are by nature and who you are. You're good, kind, rich in mercy. It is you who have changed us. It is you who transformed us. Transformed us. And we ask that as we ponder upon this truth, we will know that you are our God who through Christ has changed us, who has changed our view of you and who has changed our view of others. So help us to love you and to love the people that have you put in our lives. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.